What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. Take a minute. See what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today is Mr. Lee Frost. Hello. And Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hey, all. How the devil are we both? It's It's gotten really warm here, so you might hear a little bit of fan noise in the background, but it, it's, it's getting a bit toasty. Yeah, Does, doesn't suit me well. <laughs> I don't do heat. I'm like, I'm like a whale. It's like I have the thick layer of blubber <laughs> to give me all the heat I need. Just put me in the Arctic Ocean. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. British people don't do warm inside houses. It just doesn't work for us. So uh, let's get into brass tacks anyway. Lee, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Um, I think like playing, continuing to play Tekken on and off um, and trying to get good at it. I've reached that point where I'm just like, I, I'm watching pros play it so I can learn from them. <laughs> and then be like, yeah, oh yeah, that looks really call. easy. And then I play it and it's like, oh no, it isn't. <laughs> You haven't had the siren call of Mass Effect bringing you back yet. Not yet, no. It's not, you're like, I've got a list of what games I'm going to play, and it's a little way down Mass Effect 2, so there's a lot of shorter games in front of it. I did start Hellblade, mm-hmm. which is another one that's been on my list for a while, but I've only just started, mm-hmm. so I have no real comment on it right now. Yeah. yeah. Tekken's always fun, though. Mm-hmm. It's like Smash Brothers, but for grown-ups. <laughs> 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 controversy in the comments <laughs> scene boy well, well considering that like this whole debate actually happened on the Tekken subreddit of like people saying like well the Smash Brothers players coming into playing Tekken because of Kazuya um, they're, they're going to be very surprised that coming off their party game to come and play a real fighting game <laughs> I'm just like, oh, okay <laughs> uh, the tribalism yeah. begins I thought we just had a month of that and we all got bored of it this Sunday <laughs> No, no, no. Now the discourse online has gone back to uh, difficulty in video games and accessibility options because Psychonauts 2 has a bunch of stuff and it's like... Yeah, they're dropping in an invincibility toggle, aren't yeah. they? So, yes, the op- and I think there's... T- an option if you don't yeah. like if you don't like it, you can leave it off. But no, yeah. the existence of it just makes people really angry. <laughs> I think it's the fact you can still get achievements even if you have the invincibility on, because that, that's not on, apparently, <laughs> getting gamer points, which are worth nothing I tweeted, to anyone. I tweeted about this exact thing. I was just like, play games whoever you want. I don't care. I'm not your dad. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how everyone's <laughs> it's, it's attitude should be. <laughs> it's like some games, like Mass Effect, where I played it through four times. I put it on easy mode. Because I like the story, yeah. and I don't want to be bogged down with playing through insanity mode just for the uh, just for the prestige of being through on insanity mode. Like I've already done it on the original version twice. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it again on legendary edition. And, and to be fair, with like the first Mass Effect, the combat isn't great. <laughs> a bit stiff and a bit clunky. So, what do you mean the Nerf guns aren't, <laughs> aren't to your liking, Lee? <laughs> it was it was it was perfectly serviceable for what it is. But let's be honest, they're they're a vehicle to get you to more story, those sections. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So anything else apart from Tekken? Um, uh, also, just kind of going through my entire channel, every video from the past year and just changing my thumbnails to a completely new style. So that took a whole weekend. 
Are you doing the? Have you done the clickbait YouTuber pose in the corner? No, Please tell no, me. No, I have oh. <laughs> I wanted to see you going. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Still do not have my oh. face in them. <laughs> have you at least used a ferret doing that? <laughs> Sadly, no. I think like it's just the fact that I was doing so many of them and trying to incorporate a ferret into them all would have been just way too much work. <laughs> it needs to be a ferret with big googly eyes. <laughs> just use the same pose of the ferret on each picture. <laughs> no, I have, I have yeah. kept the Death Stranding ferret. That's still there. <laughs> I literally just took the original thumbnail and just cropped Norman Reedus and the ferret out. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's never fun. He's updating artwork. I know, I know your pace. Yes. <laughs> Keith, what have you been up to the last few weeks? I've only looked longingly at my consoles. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to play them. I'm, and I'm mostly now scared that when I do fire up Animal Crossing, everybody's just going to get all narked <laughs> and like complain about the weeds and like the fact I haven't been around. It's like, chill out, it's okay. I had other things to do, although I did. It's almost been a year since I visited my island, so I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the passive aggressiveness is going to be through the roof. Although I did, I did fire up Xbox uh, Cloud um, Gaming, the beta. Um, it was available for iOS, um, so I've given that a try. It seemed a bit laggy um, with with um, touch controls, although I haven't hooked up a proper controller yet. But I'll, I might investigate that a little bit more because that could be quite useful because a lot of the Game Pass games mm. are on that as well. Um, Have you tried the streaming yet? Yeah, well, direct from the console. No, yeah. I haven't done that version because that would involve going to the console and turning it on, whereas the cloud-based one, I don't need to do No, that. you don't. No, so I've been using it from the app. So I went to the in-laws last weekend and I took my controller with me because... I used to get quite bored, <laughs> but, but uh, set my phone up and you can turn your Xbox on through your phone remotely. Yeah. Anywhere in the world. So it's quite handy. Now, I don't have my Xbox plugged in when I'm not using it, strangely, because I have the same plug for like Blu-ray player, Xbox, Switch, DVD player, Apple TV. I've got one socket. I'm in an old house, which like when they built these old houses, people had possibly a radio and possibly a vacuum cleaner so there's like two sockets within the entire house so like you know nowadays i've got thousands upon thousands of like cable extensions and things yeah know? that's that's the only reason like this whole setup on this desk exists is because there's like three of those in a line <laughs> yeah it's like I've, it's yeah. like i've got extensions on extensions on extensions because i need like 24 plugs and like house house Good builders job, but... go ah what do you, people need what two sockets uh, but now in new builds you get three you get a quarter of the space but five times the amount of sockets <laughs> yeah or they, or they do that other really useful thing and go, you still only need two sockets, but we're going to put two USB ports in there as well. It's like, <laughs> that is not helping in any way, shape or form. Uh, so, I mean, it would like, give me a place to put my mini snares, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, but basically just make the entire skirting board electric and we can just plug into the skirting board at <laughs> any point. Some kind of like MagSafe thing where the entire, I mean... This could be problematic. So like a 40 amp rail. Yeah, it could, just be, like it could be problematic <laughs> for pets and people with small children. <laughs> you know, yeah. if it's live, it must be something like, it's the 21st century, some genius. If they can put Richard Branson in a spaceship and bring him back, unfortunately, um, you know, they can. But they're not charging him an entry fee. I thought they were going to do that. 
I don't know. Just, I, thought the, I know roughly fifty-four billion. That would that would do. <laughs> Talk, talking of billionaires in space, apparently there's a petition going around which says, "Please deny Jeff Bezos re-entry permissions <laughs> when he goes up from Blue Origin." I mean, right. you know, all fair dues to Richard Branson. At least it was on time. Uh, his, his yeah. spaceship, although it might have been delayed a few times, possibly. I'm surprised it wasn't yeah. cancelled entirely. Um, but um, there's a joke there for public transport users. Uh, although Virgin don't yeah. have a license anymore because um, they're going to space instead. Um, it's it's so we can relaunch Virgin Cola in space. That's all. <laughs> it's, it's all been a marketing ploy. <laughs> uh, but um, it has really annoyed me this willy waving competition between billionaires. It's like fix our planet. No, we're just going to go away. It's like yeah. I mean, I wish like, they would go away. It's like, it's like they watch the film Elysium and then go, well, that's a plan. It's like no, that's supposed to be a dystopia, not your future vision. Yeah, and also, like, have they not realised the fact that like space is really, really out to get human beings? It does not like us in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. It's like it wants to crush you, it wants to suffocate you, it wants to explode you. The it's amount like, of repairs you have to do on the International Space Station is absurd. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why Elon wants to go to Mars, isn't it? So he can, so he can escape U.S. jurisdiction and run his business. Well, he's no he's episode. free to go to Mars and just stay there, and the rest of us can stay. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson borrowed Elysium from Blockbusters, but uh, Elon went straight for the copy of Total Recall. That's that's kind of where we were. At. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's just terrible. Um, and of of course, I've read comics, um, which. I'll have to, I will admit on 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 this podcast now is that on my Marvel comics I tear out the little label that reveals the digital uh, access code, um, mostly because I just find it far more convenient now to like bag and box my comics away and then read them digitally, um, in bed at night with no lights on. It's very naughty. You're gonna have people share it, you know. I know, but it's not like I'm gonna sell them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They're not going to be worth anything. It's not, you know, it's not. It's not like a, a box copy of Super Mario sixty four. Yeah. Don't get me started on all that <laughs> artificial inflation of, of, of a super common game that shouldn't cost that much money. <laughs> but Lee, it's at least it's a fungible item, a token <laughs> as you wish. <laughs> that you can purchase with real money. It's kind of telling that my first reaction to like the, the absurd price for that Super Mario 64 cartridge was, oh good, second-hand games are going to go up even more now as everyone thinks, oh, I can make a load of money off that. Yeah, I mean... Everybody's scrabbling around for the five copies of Skies of Arcadia yeah. that Nintendo yeah. graced Europe with. Because that's, that's another thing I did this week, is I've been looking for a while now for the third volume of the Scott Pilgrim colour hardbacks that only press put out in 2013 or so and for some reason this third volume hadn't got printed very much certainly not available in the uk very much so people were charging like 150 pounds for this and i've been kind of like watching ebay and some of the kind of um repository bookstores and at one point i was thinking of trying to import it in from america when it was going over there um but then suddenly this week like loads of copies have just turned up in loads of um kind of secondhand books online bookshops for like 15 quid <laughs> it's like for one for one moment i was thinking do i just buy their entire stock and then like you know <laughs> flip, flip it on ebay for 150 pounds a pop um so you can't do that like you could do in the old days keith for walking in with a cape and it's like i'll have your entire stock yeah. <laughs> okay we'll walk out doesn't work the same way you just got the credit card and the pay point online but in the end, I thought I am not I am not a, a, a 
a, 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 a wealth acquiring billionaire capitalist type. So I just went, I just want the copy for myself to be able to read it and put it on the shelf with the rest of them. Um, so I just bought the one copy. Yeah, I was looking at the lovely release of Invincible, and they are ridiculously expensive. The compendium, oh, the big thing. omnibus ones. Yeah. yeah, so like they were reasonably priced before the series aired on Amazon. And by the way, snubbed at the Emmys, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. It should have at least had one nomination. But yeah, but the omnibus editions are stupidly expensive now. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that I was interested in this week was that Playmates have now got the license back for Star Trek action figures and toys. Because um, I think McFarlane and somebody else have had it for a while, but they didn't do anything with it. And then there was a weird thing where they were going to release a phaser from Discovery, which was really cool. I kind of wanted that. Um, so I'm hoping that gets re-released at some point down the line and we get some nice new Enterprise models. Because you can never have too many models of the Starship Enterprise around your house. Or hidden, in, depends which, or hidden in cupboards where your partner can't find them. <laughs> depends which model. Have you got A through F yet, Keith? Or? Oh, no, no, no. You don't go past A, really. D, possibly. <laughs> you, you know, you might go. I'm a classics man. I'm an I'm a original series and um, motion picture guy. I'm not a big fan of the kind of post-D versions. The E's horrible. And don't get me started on the Enterprise J, whatever monstrosity that whoever designed that in, in the, Enterprise. The pizza cutter. It's like what? <laughs> Why? That's what a horrible design that ship is. It's like no. It's a pizza cutter. That's what that's yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. And then like I'm just kind of waiting for like how they do the uh, Discovery models, the the future versions with the nacelles that aren't connected to anything. That's like how you could do it'll that. It'll be a it'll be a thin see-through plastic peg won't it yeah <laughs> that'll snap the moment you get it anywhere near yeah. yeah so remember was it eagle moss used to do all the little die cast models yeah they still, yeah they still do them they still do them but they charge an absolute fortune for them uh, although i was looking yeah so another online this is just well i don't know why you asked me this question brian it's gone gone deeply dark but migo uh re-releasing their kind of original fabric star trek dolls so they'd got a Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and um, a Gorn. And I was kind of looking at them and going, oh, they're quite nice. And then I saw an online trailer and the man said Mego really weirdly. So I don't know whether I've been saying Mego wrong for like 40 plus years or whether it's like some kind of new way of saying Mego. Like people used to say Ikea. And then for some reason, yeah. halfway through the, like my life, every, they just went, now that you say Ikea now. Ikea. So what? And like, see, see, not saying CEX and saying another word instead. It's like, what, what's what's going yeah, on? It's like how people used to say Nestles years ago, and now they say heart, heartless corporate <laughs> evil face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've got to start saving some money to buy absolutely useless plastic tab um, at some point later on. I'm, I'm going to see you on like the hoarder next door one year and it's like they'll go into your attic and they'll open the door and it'll just be full of figurines. The figurines will just, just fall on the corner. <laughs> so I, what was it? What happened to Keith? He was crushed by 200 Godzilla. Yeah. I, I just, it's what well, I can't help myself. It's like, I, I, I'm not as bad as I could be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a compulsion. So I should stop. How about you, Ryan? Have you been buying or thinking about buying plastic tart? I, I have purchased. So I have up here 
my collection of um, Transformers red figures, which are really nice, and they don't actually transform, so it's kind of like defeats the object of having a Transformer. But they are very poseable and they look very nice and display. This is Soundwave, as you probably guessed, and I have Megatron and Optimus Prime up there as well. But Starscream's been released now, and Bumblebee's been released, so I've kind of purchased Starscream because <laughs> it comes with the crown, and it's the bit from the 1984 movie, and it's the best bit, and now I need a Galvatron to recreate that scene, but Bumblebee not yet, but I'll probably get him next month. But other than that, I've uh, been playing Mass Effect on three quarters of the way through Mass Effect 1 now. Some kind of a completionist have to do everything, even if it does mean killing all the annoying thresholds. So nearly through that. Uh, went to the cinema to watch Black Widow. So shall we do a mini review now, Keith, before uh, we kick off proceedings? Yeah, yeah. I went. I went to um, my local real cinema. Yeah, I did Cineworld 2D IMAX, and I enjoyed it. It just feels it's too late. It felt like this is a film that could have come out five years ago and been an amazing success. And it's kind of like they've done it because Wonder Woman's been so successful and it's like, oh, we should really have a female-led Marvel movie by now. And it feels like it's more of an insert film rather than it having its own life. It's been very tight on what they could do with it. I mean, the acting's great. Florence Pugh, I absolutely adore in it. David Harbour's good, even though he plays the stereotypical Russian man. Rachel Weiss is good. Ray Winston manages to not have a Cockney accent for two hours, <laughs> which is kind of a miracle. I mean, he's only on screen for 10 minutes, but I can just imagine off screen, it was just full Cockney abuse for about an hour, and then it was like the clapperboard comes down, and then he has to hold that in every time he's on screen. But, um, it was good, but it felt... It felt like it belonged in like the second arc of Marvel. It doesn't feel like it's a modern Marvel movie, if that sounds weird. It feels like it feels very much like it should sit with the Avengers kind of era of Marvel movies. It's, it feels like Marvel Cinematic Universe has gone past that, and this was kind of a callback. I think, in a sense, it suits the film because of the because it is set in the past. I mean, it is an enjoyable two hours. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, competently, well, you know, put together. The, you know, the title sequence is really cool. Um, uh, Lorne Balf does the music, which is really cool, because he did um, Mission Impossible, uh, Fallout, mm. which is good. He's a, he's a, I believe he's a Scottish composer. So yeah, um, the music was pretty cool. But I think the problem that it had is it's come hot on the tail of the series. The recent series that we've had because it was due to have been released last year before we kind of really got into the marvel series and that yeah. two hours now seems so fleeting and yeah and the, the the series is now giving you so much more uh to get to grips with and you and i kind of like the weekly schedule that you kind of have in this kind of like oh what's going to happen and all the rest of it um so the the, the film kind of um sits in a weird place i think now because we've got so used to the weekly tv shows but it was good fun i enjoyed it it was kind of cool um florence mm -hmm. Pugh's is going to make a phenomenal addition to the marvel universe which is great yeah but again marvel just you know cast really well even with mm -hmm. ray winston who should should do a 
a commentary track where he does it in Cockney on the Blu-ray. <laughs> so here's the like Dave Prowse doing Darth Vader in his original voice. Yes. You're part of the rebel alliance and a traitor, yeah, so a Caesar. I think, I think Ray Winston did do that, but it, it was just it was just good fun. Nice, you know, some nice callbacks to stuff. Um, yeah, it felt like a Bond film as well to me, especially with the whole bit of every single. It's like every 10, 15 minutes, it was a new location, the, and they'd bring up the, the words. bring up the location yeah. in the background. It felt so like a Bond film. Cool. It's like it was very globe hopping, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, you know, I think I agree with you in terms of the fact that. For a female-led movie, it's much too late for Marvel to have really kind of, you know, taken the ball by the horns and committed to it. Um, you know, it feels a little bit kind of after the horse has bolted type of situation. Um, but as long as they learn from those mistakes and continue with their, uh, you know, opening up the cinematic universe to all you know we've got the eternals we've got the eternals coming we've got the yeah. shang chi movie coming which looks phenomenal so i think it fits means marvel are kind of going to be just putting out stuff and trying things mm-hmm. they've got nothing to lose you know it's not like they're gonna even if they if even if their films bomb now um you know they're not going to suffer mm-hmm. you know it's not going to make the studio go out no. of business so they can afford to try well, something and not I think I've read they made $60 million domestic on the opening weekend of Black Widow through Disney+. Plus. Yeah, which is pretty good going. So it proves they don't need the cinema, to be honest. Yeah. Because the, they're, they're going to make the money back straight away. The, the other good upside of this is that at least David Harbour gives me a Marvel character I could potentially cosplay. <laughs> because unlike, unlike any of the Hemsworths or the... Or the, the the Evanses or the whatever it is, apart from Brothor, but that you know that's so fleet that doesn't work. But it, you know I, the dad bod of Red Guardian is like yeah I could, I could I go think for you that. need to put a few more pounds. I could do that. You need to put a few more pounds on for that, Keith. <laughs> it's, it's all in the suit, then you see. It's all in the suit. I think what you'd have to do is have the belly hanging out and the trousers halfway up, and then just be walking around going, "It still fits. It still fits." <laughs> oh, that, and, and as well, they they do mention another Russian. Uh, superhero in the film at one point which just left me going oh yeah i'd really love to see that particular character in the marvel universe uh, at some point mm-hmm. so it's like yeah or there's um there's a whole super team or a whole russian super team um which yeah. is pretty cool that has some great characters in that i'd like to see i'd like to see that kind of like marvel spilling out to the kind of like the worlds of heroes we've got the wakandans but like mm-hmm. to see you know alpha flights and i can't remember the name of the russian team I should do because they were in they were in lots of books that I read, and you know Captain Britain and all the rest of it and kind of that yeah. stuff. That'd be kind of cool. Um, I think I think there is a danger though that the TV shows are going to be more essential for people who don't have Disney Plus and just watch the films, and they're going to be missing a lot of what's been going on. Um, potentially, but I think Marvel will do that in a in a you know they'll they'll bridge that gap. Um, you know, because otherwise they'll be shutting out a massive part of the audience, um, which, you know, I think they, 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 this film signals some crossover with shows later down the line. Yeah. But I don't think it'll have a massive, you know, th- there's characters in there that have appeared in the TV shows. Can I say that? Yeah. That be spoiler warning flashing upon screen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, but it's not done in a way that you just go, you know, it would com- confuse anybody. And Lee doesn't mind because he doesn't mm-hmm. care anyway. So he's just, you know, 
So they can have whatever yeah, they want in the, in the films. It's fine. Yeah. Good. I think... I think... Yeah, I think it was good, but as I said, it's a bit too late. Yeah. But it was a fun night out at the cinema, and we, that's what I wanted. I wanted to mm. sit on that front row of the cinema with a big screen and big sound and be entertained for a couple of hours, and I, and I, and I was, and so I quite, I quite enjoyed it. Yes, no matter what Martin Scorsese says, he says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think I, I think I had much more fun watching Black Widow at the cinema than I've had watching The Irishman anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, for me, it would be if you enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you've been there for the whole ride so far. It, it's it's pretty much still a must-watch. But if if you've only occasionally dabbled and you've dipped in and out, I wouldn't say it's essential that you watch this. No, but if you want a fun night out at the cinema and you you got to choose between this and Peter Rabbit two, go with Peter Rabbit two. <laughs> I mean, go with Black Widow. Um, no, Keith, you just give me a horrible thought that James Corden might pop up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and nobody wants that. <laughs> I could I could imagine they would have him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but has as himself. So that like Would that be worse or better? Uh, well, if it if it's as himself, chances are it'll be a cameo and that's better. <laughs> but he was he played himself in the Friends reunion. So I think it's kind of like but then would that mean if he plays himself in the Marvel Universe, does that mean that Friends is part of the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe and there is a central perk somewhere in New York City that potentially... Keith, we don't have time for the St. Aylford Snowball Are we going to have a central perk superhero team there as well? <laughs> that is why, that is why um, Gunter is there, because Gunter's actually an undercover superhero. <laughs> Gunter's an agent of Shield. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would work. I could. I could see that. I could see that. He's just making sure that they don't get up to too much stuff. Central Perk is one of those secret Shield like <laughs> mini bases. So behind the counter, there's actually like a whole secret Shield base, and like yeah, and they're recruiting. That's why. That's why Ross was on a break because he was being recruited into Shield. Mm. <laughs> It all makes sense now. It all makes sense now when you think about it. Because, yeah. like, when you see the Friends, like, graphics, you know, it's broken up in the same way, like Shield, isn't it? Like, they have those, they have those dots <laughs> between them, don't they? You're going to try and start translating them now. Yeah. You're going to be like the picture of um, what's his face from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with red lights. <laughs> and you, <laughs> it's, it's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. <laughs> Friends, Friends exists and takes place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed uh, Black Widow, and I think you should, if you can see it at the cinema. If not, yes. Um, if you want a, an enjoyable couple of half hours with some corny jokes, lots of special effects, and lots of action, can't really go wrong. Yeah. All right. For the rest of the show, we're going to not talk Marvel. We're going to be talking YouTube. So uh, we're going to be talking about a few of our favourite YouTubers, why YouTube's such an enduring and popular platform, and why is it so, such uh, the only place for video online, it feels like sometimes. And Lee will be talking about his uh, times as a YouTuber, and he still is a YouTuber. Go and check out his channel at the Cheap uh, Bob the Pet Ferret. And but how create the channel and how that kind of works. So hopefully there'll be some few tips in there for you. Now and coming soon in the Geeky Brummy pull list.
Out now, and our current comic of the week is Skybound X number two. This is from Image and Skybound, written and illustrated by Robert Kirkman, Irma Cavilla, Tri Vong, Joshua Williamson, Chip Zdarsky, Andre Bresson, Ryan Oatley and Raymond Perez. In this issue, the second chapter of the wildest Walking Dead story ever, Rick Grimes 2000, plus the debut of a new major Stillwater character, a surprising coda to the Birthright saga, and the first appearance of everyday hero Machine Boy. Also out now from Marvel Comics is Way of X number 4, written by Simon Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. In this issue, it's all airs and graces. Kill no man, but some exceptions may apply. Nightcrawler must act fast to avoid catastrophe, as the laws of Krakoa and physics are tested to their limits. Also a nice family bonding session, with no violent repercussions. Just kidding. This is Xavier vs Legion in a boozed up tiki bar, with only the sanity of mutant kind at stake. Also out now from Marvel Comics is Excalibur number 22, written by Tinney Howard with art by Marcus Toe. This issue is Treasures of Britain, The Tower and the Storm. With Captain Britain and Excalibur reunited, other world is their domain. An escort mission reveals deep political unrest among Saturnine's court, and a brutal sacrifice bears fruit. Out next week is Skybound X number three from Image and Skybound. This is likely to be my comic of the week, and it's written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson, Robert Kirkman, Kyle Starks, Erica Henderson, Ryan Oatley, and Corey Walker. This issue will feature the third chapter of the ongoing Rick Grimes 2000 serial. Plus, we'll get a rip-roaring Murder Falcon throwdown, a spotlight on Assassination fan favourite F-star C.K. Tarkington, and the latest instalment of the greatest genius canine adventurer, Science Dog. And the final comic on the poor list for next week will be New Mutants number 20 from Marvel, written by Vita Alia with art by Alex Linz. In this issue, it's Weekend at Xavier's. In the heart of the wild hunt, schemers are dreaming, deceptions are coming to light, and the dead are walking. Just another day on Krakoa for the New Mutants. And that's it for the poll list this issue. Don't forget to check in every Wednesday on the website and our Twitter feed for more great comics in our On The Radar feature. And until next time, don't forget, comics are for everyone. And now, back to the main show. For popular websites nowadays, I don't think there's much more popular than YouTube. It It's pretty much the only place for online video that people upload to now. I mean, I remember back in the days of Dailymotion and Vimeo, which is still kicking around, and a few other services like that. And Google Video, if anybody remembers where all the pirated films used to be uploaded <laughs> to back in the day. But, um, yeah, they're all on so Dailymotion. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so YouTube itself has been around since 2005 and purchased by the great search giant in the sky, our overlord Google, back in 2006. And since then, it's become a behemoth of video streaming services. It's been the career of lots of people. I mean, some of them great, some of them not so great. Mm-hmm. Jake Paul. <laughs> but um, kind of why do you think it hit that popularity streak? Do you think it's down to Google owning it? I mean, that Google kill off a service every week, by the look of it. Stadia coming soon to that <laughs> list of uh, corpses. But um, YouTube seems to be the one that's stuck around. I mean, its popularity definitely started without Google, I think. Um, 
you know, it, it took off pretty much immediately um, because I think it was such a high quality video streaming site because anyone who was online in the early 2000s knows how bad getting access to any kind of video streaming was at the time. It wasn't great. Every site seemed to have its own player if it had a player at all or you didn't have to, if, assuming you didn't have to download something. And I think that probably helped. Mm -hmm. I think it, was, it yeah. being one of the first to jump in as well probably helped it as well. Mm -hmm. I and mean, back in those early wild days, it was all streamed around being personal videos as well with it the whole point of it it was youtube it wasn't channelized syndicated content it mm. was all designed to be personal vloggers people who just wanted to upload things and people who just wanted to experiment with you video uh, keith as somebody who's worked with video in a kind of day-to-day -day job do you think do you notice the difference between pre-youtube and post-youtube and how people treat video and online presence um i think the the, the thing that, that youtube did was was opening opening it up to everybody because i think as a platform what it did is it didn't have there wasn't any sense of exclusivity or restrictions it was literally apart from the fact that in the beginning when i first started putting stuff up it was you had a 15 minute upload maximum limit uh the fact that it was if you had a camera and the ability to upload the footage you could put whatever you wanted upon up online whether it be animations art films talking about your favorite books reviewing whatever you want so i think the fact that there was a proliferation of all kinds of content and particularly content that you couldn't get anywhere else um you know as much as we think films and games are huge cultural phenomena phenomena now they're not featured on any generally aren't featured on regular mediums you know you don't get radio shows about them you don't get tv shows about them you might have the occasional one like you know bad influence or bits or whatever it is but they don't last long uh well i mean you say that but jessica curry does have a show on radio three entirely about video game music yeah and it is regular <laughs> but that's that's kind of niche you know mm, yeah. how many how many yeah. people are listening to radio there's no three big yet? there's no big mainstream yeah thing, yeah as, it's not as you mentioned there's no bits there's no games yeah. master there's no g4 tv it's, around here yeah. it's not advertised but it just was that it became accessible if you could type the words into youtube you could find something in it uh and i think that's that's what it did and there was no kind of it didn't feel like there was any kind of regulation in terms of like it could your content could be a bit shoddy but it was about the people that were presenting and as time's gone on that's become it's become much slicker and much more professional and uh, and uh, on par in in some instances actually exceeding what you get on regular um media yeah. channels yeah i mean i was gonna say about that there seems to be a big seismic shift about four or five years ago where it went from that kind of personal video maybe even a little bit earlier that to being more corporatized content is the way I'd describe it, where everybody's trying to match that feel of broadcast TV and have that quality. And as you said, in some case, exceeds it. I mean, YouTube supports 4K video now, and lots of the bigger streamers, YouTubers, have swapped over to using 4K video cameras, and you have that pixel-sharp quality in comparison to normal HD video. And I think they're due to be sporting some 8K footage soon for the Tokyo Olympics, possibly. So it's kind of like they're, they've, they've already gone past normal broadcast TV. And I think with the rise of streaming services like Netflix, 
and Amazon Prime. I think some of the YouTubers are probably saying, right, well, our content's probably nearly good quality to move on to those kind of services, or they're trying to get probably permanent shows on things like that. I can see another big shift coming soon where people move off YouTube to proper paid content services. I mean, I've mentioned it previously on other shows, the stuff like Floatplane and Curiosity Stream, which are video subscription services where some YouTubers have already doubled. So like Floatplane, do something where you can like watch videos two weeks early. Patreon has a model now which allows people to upload videos to so you can watch them a week or two weeks early. And it seems to be since the big advertising Armageddon that happened a couple of years ago on YouTube, everybody's trying to make money elsewhere rather than relying on advertised fed content. Yeah, the advertising element of it is uh, an interesting one because people don't make a lot of money off ads alone unless you're massive. Like we're talking millions and millions of subscribers. Um, you know, they're, they're, you're sort of looking at like... I'm trying to remember what kind of money I get, but we're talking like fractions of a penny per view kind of thing. And it, I think you have to get like a minimum of like a thousand views to even begin making anything resembling money on a video. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a thousand subscribers is the minimum mm -hmm. amount before YouTube even considers you as a partner. Yeah. There's very specific things that you have to fit into. I mean, it's not too like, restrictive i don't think because i'm not a massive channel but i'm still in the partner program so it's 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 a reasonable amount it's not like you have to be like you not have, don't have to be in the millions you don't even really need to be in the thousands a lot as long as you get like a decent number of watch hours but there's definitely a shift i think because of the advertising coming into it uh, you know there's an expectation of like you said quality is improving because there's more money in it and that's that did see a, a big mm. shift and I, I've sort of looked back on my stats and you can kind of see the moment where YouTube changed because I saw this huge uptick in subscribers and then it levels off completely and then it starts climbing slower at that point because of how the algorithm changed around that sort of time. Mm -hmm. And it's very prescriptive, isn't it? It's kind of everybody expects a 10 minute video, eight to 10 minutes, it's got to be like that, it's got to have a specific SEO in your title, mm -hmm. it's got to be different ways of doing yeah, it. Yeah, we'll talk a bit, a, bit, we, a bit more about that later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think, is there a risk that they're kind of losing their edge now, I think, with YouTube? Do you think it's going to be a case of other services might be looking at a chance to... Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of attempts to try away. and make a replacement, but none of them have ever really taken off. I mean, Vimeo still exists, but it largely exists as like a portfolio site for video professionals. Mm. Like... People just put stuff on there as like, hey, here's my portfolio. It's not a YouTube channel or such. But and you've got to pay a subscription to use Vimeo now. Mm -hmm. you, you used to you used to have a certain amount of um, uploads per month or whatever it is, but now that's that's more difficult. Whereas YouTube isn't. You don't have that problem. No. People can put up. I think what might happen as the kind of big bigger names and bigger players get poached off by other services, you might have a return to the more kind of lo-fi. Um, stuff that we had originally on YouTube because when you think of some of the stuff that you know people really remember of YouTube, about YouTube it's not high quality productions you know it's mm -hmm. it's crazy animals with googly eyes and kids biting each other's fingers um, so yeah. whether we'll get back to that kind of or Gangnam Style <laughs> yeah I mean I, I think 
what YouTube has to watch is that things like TikTok are biting quite quite intently on its heels. That's what I was about to say. Is like I think if we're looking for that kind of content, you're going to find it on TikTok these days. Yeah. Because that very. I mean, we. But, I mean, YouTube are trying have... to get in on that with like the YouTube Shorts. That I don't think it, I don't know how many people actually watch those. <laughs> trying to remember the name of that video streaming service where every video was like thirty seconds long. Was it Vine? Maybe. Vine was. Vine, thing, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that was massively popular, and then they ran out of money. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that bundled it, part of Twitter at one point? As yeah. Well? I, I think it went into Periscope and then Periscope got yeah. integrated into Twitter, didn't it? Yeah. So. But I think a lot of services are moving into video. I know that like Instagram are heavily pushing their video content rather than their mm-hmm. stills content. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of other services kind of like one in a bite of that video cherry that yeah. um, YouTube have, have managed to hold on to for quite a long time. Yeah, I know Facebook really pushes their video content with the Facebook wash thing now, and it's all—it's just a massive stream of clickbait in there. Which is interesting because Facebook's video whole video platform is terrible. I mean, Facebook as a platform is terrible in general, <laughs> but <laughs> it's especially bad. But it's even coded badly yeah, on top of them being borrowly yeah, dubious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I mean, as I said, I mentioned there's, there's alternatives. We mentioned like Curiosity Stream which I quite enjoy, and Nebula, which is part of that, which is where you'll find some YouTubers will, as I said, prioritise or move stuff there or move exclusive content to there. And you've got a Float Plane in the US or Canada, which is, I think, Linus Tech Ticks, which is one of the biggest tech video channels set up that as a kind of more premium streaming service and again, it's that exclusivity. So... Don't forget, it's kind of become a two-tiered service. I think now it feels. And don't forget, there's also the competition from Twitch as well. A lot of gaming YouTubers yeah. have moved heavily into Twitch. So. Yeah. Yes. It's much much easier for them to monetize that platform as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Twitch is just designed for for creators to earn lots of money if they've got the following, I suppose. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Do you think it's created this two-tiered of YouTube now? Uh, even even Google have created their own two-tiered with YouTube and YouTube Premium. Mm. And it seems to be nagware now to try and get people to buy YouTube Premium. They're overloading the ads on the free side. It's kind of like the Spotify business model <laughs> of, Haha, if you buy the free one, we know we're going to annoy you a lot. And <laughs> Oh, look, here's another ad where you can buy our premium service. It seems YouTube's kind of drifted into that feel mm. to like kind of force people to say, well, give us... Give us ten a month, and we'll turn off the adverts, and you can watch as many YouTube videos as you can. And especially with kid content as well, is kind of worrying because it's become one of the world's largest babysitters, where a tablet will be thrust into the hands of a small child and there's them sit and watch so YouTube many, for hours. so many issues around children's content on YouTube because people can just kind of. Like you're supposed, there's a whole thing in the uploads that basically says you, you can specify is this made for kids or is this not made for kids, and they try and separate them out as much as possible. Um, but the problem with it is that they, there's been like so much stuff that's kind of just almost kind of generated by algorithm that's kind of been thrown up into like the kids stuff that kind of looks like Peppa Pig episodes or something, but it's just kind of it just it's just weird and strange, and no one seems to know where half this stuff's come from. And YouTube just hasn't really dealt with it in the way that they should have done. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's stuff like YouTube Kids, I think, where they've diversified it into a separate app, and it's supposed to be, as you mentioned, those made-for-kid videos are only supposed to be appear there, but it doesn't feel like it's 
worked in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, there's definitely some issues with it. I think like some people have even said like sometimes conspiracy theory videos still show up on there, even though they're clearly not supposed to be kids' content. So it's like, why is that there? Mm-hmm. And it's the whole flagging for review service. Mm-hmm. And I suppose another thing that YouTube's had to contend with a lot is their possibly how do I phrase this? Overexerted use of DMCA on the platform. You mean you mean the one where anyone can claim that they own something and then yeah. claim your video for it because that's happened a few times. Whereas some random Russian site. Russian media site is like, oh, I own all of Uncharted 4. It's like, no, you mm. don't. <laughs> yeah. I think that, the, you know, and they have to provide proof up front, but now you can just yeah. register anything into the system, apparently, it seems. Yeah. And it's even been used by the laws enforcement in the US where they'll play Disney, Disney music on their phones mm. in an altercation with the public to basically say, oh, you can't upload this now because it's got Disney music in it and it'll get taken down. The, be- the best part about that whole situation, trial. though, is because there were so many people talking over it, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's just shocking how bad is the situation it is that any kind of copyrighted content, which you can use under fair use, now can instantly require your game being struck off. Yeah, It's like I was watching a Jedi Fallen Order video a few months back. And this is the big scene, which is, spoilers, Darth Vader turns up <gasps> in the game. And the audio gets muted as soon as he appears yeah. for the entirety of his time on screen. Because it's using the Imperial March in the background. And it's like, oh, no, we're going to get taken down if we play that. Well, it's it's also like, it kind of shows you how the attitudes from different media companies are. Because as you know, I have a gaming channel, I can use as many games as possible and no one really cares about it a lot of gaming companies are fine with it but like the ratchet and clank video that i recently put up i put them clips of the trailer for the movie in there and that got flagged and i didn't even use the audio of that trailer just the visuals of it and it still got flagged and that's the kind of thing and that's universal that is i believe yeah and it seems to be the bigger players especially the music industry and the film industry are very hot to say well this is my content mm-hmm. not yours mm-hmm. i think as a as a, in my work i create, create a lot of video i think i would miss it as a platform if anything happened to it because embedding video in in, in a website of your own is a nightmare and the you know the use of bandwidth and all the rest of it the logistics of having your own video on a website is is just a nightmare and it's not not very cost effective. So having YouTube and being able to put all kinds of videos on there, little animations, documentaries about community events. I think for, for community stuff, which is what I do a lot of, the idea of people going out and being able to make short films or make animations or have um, some kind of content that they can then share through a website or on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever it is, is an invaluable tool to a lot of people. And I don't think there really is another service that would fill the gap. If, if YouTube disappeared tomorrow, there isn't anything there that I think I would be like thinking or be confident would be a good replacement yeah. for it. So I think, uh, you know, it does it does serve a good, it has, a, it has you know, as, as much as there's negatives from it, it does, it does have a very valuable place yeah. in our kind of multimedia lifestyle. I mean, unfortunately, it is 
who would pay for a replacement for YouTube. That that's the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's what only a few businesses have the kind of funds and servers to be able to host all this video. And some of them, as you said, it's video that's been hosted for coming up on nearly fifteen years now. And having old MP4s knocking around on a dusty server from fifteen years ago, which is still playable, is still quite impressive to this day. But it is it seems to be a bit of a case of better the devil you know with YouTube. And until somebody comes out with a really strong competitor, it's going to be a long while. I mean, Microsoft could always bring back Mixer. <laughs> so uh, you'll give me nightmares. Yeah, so future-wise, I'd be happy if YouTube got some competition. Yeah. Just if, just so that they had to improve their service. Yeah. And that's where I'm coming from with it, but... Yeah, we shall see how many years it will rumble on for. So we like to share the love here on the Geeky Brother channel. And what we've all done is we've all each scurried off and found some YouTubers that we really seem to enjoy. And we hope you'll enjoy too. And then we've asked them to have a little thing and talk about their own YouTube channel and their own YouTube experience. So we'll just go into one of these now and back shortly. Thank you very much for inviting me to answer some questions. That's uh, absolutely awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, so let's have a look down here. What am I answering? So yeah, okay. What motivated you to start a YouTube channel? Right, okay. Uh, Yeah, so I started a channel basically because I wanted to create content um, based on things that other people were just not talking about. I would, you know, I had my inspirational channels, the Lazy Game Reviews, the Larry Bundys, Gaming Historian, all of these awesome channels. And uh, yeah, basically... In, in the UK, the Americans did such an incredible job, <laughs> basically, um, a lot of people here in the UK started to believe that this was our history as well, which obviously it wasn't. So you would have people um, uh, talking about the history of Mega Man, or they'd be talking about the video game crash of 1983, and God knows whatever else. And here in the UK, those sort of topics were just not that popular uh, in the 80s and the 70s and what have you. So... I wanted to talk about, I wanted to do those sort of videos that I, you know, other people were doing that I was fascinated in watching. I was watching more than I was watching any kind of TV show and I wanted to uh, put my spin on it. Why wasn't people talking about the home computer scene and UK's uh, uh, view on the, you know, Super Nintendo versus the Sega Mega Drive Genesis for the Americans. So I wanted to, uh, yeah, do that. And that's what I did. And it done very well from the very beginning. And I was like, wow, this is cool. And that's what I ended up doing as a job eventually, five or six years later, because uh, I just became absolutely addicted to creating videos like that. And and um, yeah, there you go. Right, number two, uh, what's the most satisfying part of making video content? Without a doubt, the most satisfying thing for me is the comments. I know it's such a bog standard answer, but as stated, I don't have many friends in the real world that are interested in, you know, hardcore history of video games and weird little factoids about games they've probably never even heard of. <laughs> well, I find that sort of stuff very interesting. Being able to put us put yourself out there on the internet, you instantly be able to find other people that are interested in the same topics that you are. And um, yeah, that's 
exactly what's happened. I now get to wake up daily, uh, look at my comments on my videos and see people uh, spread their their own personal histories on the topics that I cover. And, and sometimes I get the developers of these games thanking me for making videos about theirs and uh, the games they worked on. It's insanely, insanely rewarding. Um, and it's obviously led down to a path of me being able to do that which is now way more than a hobby. It's a complete lifestyle. I, I love it um, <laughs> as something that I do every day. I, I absolutely adore it. So yeah, easily, without a doubt, the uh, the best part of being, uh, doing what I do. Uh, and number three, what's the one thing you wish you knew then that you know now about YouTube? Okay. All right, okay, okay. Hmm. Okay, so that's a tough one, uh, because honestly, uh, I it's very easy to say I wish I started sooner, because if I started sooner, there would have been less competition, and you know, I would have grown a lot quicker, all that sort of thing, but uh, honestly, it's what you learn along the way. Uh, if I did start sooner, maybe I would have been a bit more slapstick and a bit more crazy, like some of the American um, characters that they portray, uh, and... I'm I'm just so happy that this was the path I ended up going down, what you see on the channel. From day dot, that's always been my vision. And, um, you know, you learn things along the way. You learn how to promote yourselves a little bit better on social media. You learn how to... Um, I've never really had many issues with my videos. So I, I don't know, in all honesty. It, it was a tough slog. Uh, I think if I started sooner, maybe I would have given up because I had less time on my hands, you know, wanting to go out and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, eventually I became a dad. I had a bit more time on my hands in the evenings not going out, not getting drunk, not getting uh, on it. And um, yeah, I, I think it was the perfect time for me to start. So I don't really have any regrets in regards to the world of being a YouTuber. Um, I There's a couple of nitty gritty things I wish I'd done slightly different when I talked about a particular topic. But all, all in all, I'm, I'm very happy with how it all turned out. So <laughs> no regrets here, I suppose. So Lee. Yes. As as the more famous YouTuber among us, <laughs> famous. Do you do you want to uh, let us know the secrets of the algorithm oh, and I, how to make it as a YouTuber I, nowadays I and your experiences? I have learned many secrets of the algorithm, and there are still secrets to be discovered. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I've been on YouTube for a while. Um, Essentially, it's been my channel has had two launches, one in 2009 and one last year, because um, I used to make Let's Play videos and this sort of content like that, and now make more kind of video essays, review analysis type content, um, which is a lot more enjoyable. And um, one of the things that I've been doing with that is like obviously trying to grow the channel through all of this and. As I'm going through, I'm recognizing a lot of the things that people need to do in order to succeed on the platform. And it's interesting because you see a lot of advice floating around the internet about how to work with the algorithm. And a lot of it, it kind of is almost like, oh, if you do these things, it's instant success. And it's like none of that works. There's, there's no shortcut to it. Um, you know, there's all this stuff about like, oh, well, if you get the SEO right, if you have these amazing thumbnails and you know, you you make sure you're following all the trending topics and you're uploading exactly at this time every day or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, you can do all of that and still not be successful because there are so many factors to what YouTube puts into like. So with the algorithm, it kind of almost ranks every video 
and it kind of pushes things up the ranking or down depending on how well they all perform and it isn't just about you know number of people clicking on it and viewing it it's also how long are those people staying on the video and watching it and are they then clicking on more videos on your channel are they leaving comments it's all this gets brought into it and i think it is because in the past i think there has been an issue of people trying to game the system and it's something that google themselves like just as a search engine have also experienced where there was definitely like some dark days of people loading up terrible websites full of tags so that they would be bumped up the Google search engine, whereas now they base it more around links and how much stuff's being shared. So more quality stuff does go to the top of the results. And we do, and that is kind of how YouTube works. And I think the reality is, is that people kind of forget that YouTube's algorithm doesn't operate for creators, it operates for the viewers and ultimately YouTube itself. And YouTube's goal is to get people watching videos for as long as possible, clicking on more videos so that they can serve more ads to people. So if your videos aren't very good and people aren't watching them, they're not going to show those to more people. And that's, you know, it all comes down to you have to make good content. So, um, I mean, mine's decent. <laughs> uh, it can always be improved. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of... Uh, it is growing because I'm doing a lot of the tips and tricks correctly. Um, you know, it's like making sure the titles have things that people are going to be searching for. It's um, spending most of the weekend updating all the thumbnails so that they have a consistent style rather than just me kind of throwing them together at the last minute when I upload them and not looking very good. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it's it is seeing some small growth. And I think it is just a case of just you have to care about what you're making and you can't there's no shortcut to success even though you see all these big names and you think like oh well they became successful instantly and it's like they put in a lot of work that you probably didn't see so yeah because as i say with your videos it's not just 10 minutes of content you go through a scripting process, mm -hmm. you write your script, you record your audio separately, then you've got to go through, play the game, find your game clips, yep. put those in, uh, find music that can get away with being in a video, yep. either, mm -hmm. uh, either create commons or find free music or find music that's not going to yep. tip the uh, the big report flag. And then it's the engagement post the video, which a lot of people get, where you, just uploading a video doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. You want to get that video out there, you've got to engage it. So like when we upload our show, we'll put it on our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram. I'll write an article that goes alongside the video release of this podcast and the audio release to say, right, the article is there. So here is the article going, which then points you to YouTube or points you to Castos where we, we host yeah. our podcast. So do you want to go through that kind of process of how you work from idea to creation yeah so um with idea a lot of my ideas just kind of come to me because i follow a lot of gaming discussion online um so i get a lot of ideas from that um there's one video that i can say that i'm currently working on which is about kind of british video game history because i saw a few discussions weirdly online happening like in about three or four different places at once which were just <laughs> like people from outside the u.s saying that like what we know about video game history online doesn't align with anywhere that isn't America. It's like we've taken online, we've taken the American history of video games and decided that was the overall history of video games. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, that's actually a really interesting video. And so I, I will be doing a video that's currently in, um, it's about to be in the editing phase um, of just looking at how British history differed from what people think we know. Th- things like how Nintendo isn't wasn't massive in the way that it was in America. Um, but it's it's little things like that where I'll just, I'll, you know, or I'll be playing something and think, oh, this reminds me of something, or I have these thoughts about it, and I'll jot all this down. And from there, it's just, I'll plan out what sort of talking points do I want to have, I'll split it into sections, and then it goes into, like, a um, scripting process. And my new production process that I'm doing right now is, like, taking those segments, and I, I'll do, like, one a day on each video. And that has now allowed me to kind of do multiple videos at once without stressing myself out too much. Um, and then it's a case of like, once the script's written, just going through, make sure it reads okay. And then the process of that is I will then take that script and check my footage and plan out what footage goes with which bits. And then it's the editing process of putting it all that together. Um, it is not like a simple, like, I'll throw out a video and it's done. You know, these can take a while to do. And it's why I had to shift my production process because I was trying to put out a video a week. And some of these videos definitely needed more time. And it was becoming all I was doing. So, you know, it's there's definitely the system I'm doing now has meant that there's been like a month of inactivity on the actual channel. But it means that like, based on what I'm working on at the moment, by the time I come back with more videos, I'll probably get two a week out. <laughs> because I'm overlapping them so much. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And it depends on what the video is as well. Like, Yeah. And there's lots and lots of software out there that people can use. I mean, I, mean, I personally use Sony Vegas for my personal video editing, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the lesser regarded video yeah. editors. Keith, you use Premiere, is it? Or LumaFusion? Yeah, I, I, I use uh, LumaFusion, which is mobile-based. So it's an iPad, so everything can be done um, using a, using your finger, uh, mm. which is great. I mean, otherwise you've got things like DaVinci, um, mm. which is a free, you can download a free version of DaVinci um, to most competent machines, which is mm-hmm. which is pretty good because you can avoid paying any money for this. LumaFusion is about 20 quid for the iPad app, but it's, it's a very good, it's a very good editor I've found um, mm-hmm. for, for most tasks really. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I use Adobe Premiere. Um, just, it's, which is probably the biggest yeah. well-known. And it's, it's, it's because I've been using it since uni, so I'm, I know my way around it and everything. And uh, it's obviously it's a subscription you've got to pay. But like I've heard good things about DaVinci. You know, like mm. how it is a kind of a good kind of free alternative if you can't afford to get yeah. Premiere. Um, and that's the thing. If you've got a reasonable PC from the last three or four years you can probably have your entire production in it for free so you can start off using obs mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people use and what we use to record this yeah. video right now in fact i all, uh, all pc footage in my games comes from obs um yeah and which is a amazing free piece of software and for consoles console footage it's it's elgato which obviously you have to buy the capture device but then the software is free to download for that as well um, but obviously that's just you're paying for the capture device so that you can actually physically get the footage into your computer. Um, yeah. But then like... But then you can take that footage, put it into 
DaVinci Resolve, mm-hmm. edit it, yeah. do what you like with yeah. it, and then upload it to YouTube. Or you can even, in some situations, just go straight off your phone or your iPad, as Keith doesn't with Luma Fusion, yeah. where you can take that straight through. And I, and I will say so, as well, in terms of like free alternatives, because the things like thumbnails, and if I'm doing stuff with images, I don't actually use Photoshop. I actually use photop.com, which is basically, mm-hmm. it's basically Photoshop in the browser, and it's it is exactly Photoshop, and I'm amazed that they're getting away with it. <laughs> so I use GIMP, which is another free alternative, mm-hmm. which is graphics in, what is it, something manipulation program. Yeah. I can never remember what GIMP stands for, but um, uh, yeah. It's a dog, again, a dog with a great piece. Yeah. Again, another great piece of fantastically mm-hmm. free software with as much functionality as Photoshop when you remember where everything is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like, we'll take Photoshop, and we'll shuffle it around a bit well, so we don't get sued. That's the thing about Photopea is that they haven't shuffled anything around. It's exactly Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> but they're getting away with it. And I'm glad that they are because it's what I use for my thumbnails and things. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's, there's all sorts of ways of, of getting into a lot of YouTube stuff. I mean, obviously, with if you want cameras and things, I think most phones these days are probably good enough. I know that when... In my Ratchet and Clank video recently, I filmed myself just holding games up to the camera, and that was literally just done on my phone. So, mm. you know, it's 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 gotten a lot more accessible. And I think that is one of the great things about YouTube is that it is still very accessible to a lot of people. Um, yeah. You know, there's all these programs that allow you to do these things for free, but then YouTube itself is also a good way to get that stuff out there. But it's also YouTube's problem is that everyone can upload stuff, which means there's a lot of crap out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what would be your like kind of tips for anybody who's starting out to make a YouTube channel? Okay. So like I'm on a few like YouTube subreddits, just, you know, I sort of lurk around there, see what people are saying. And, you know, sometimes there's good advice, but most of the time there are people saying, so I've set up my YouTube channel. I don't know what to post on it. And I'm like, okay, but, what was the point of setting up a YouTube channel? I think if you if you want to get into YouTube and you want to do something with it, you can't just do it because you've seen people be successful with it. You have to do it because there's something you want to make. There's something you want to do, something you want to put out there. Um, and if you're trying to think of ideas of things, I just say, what are you watching? What are you enjoying on YouTube currently? What are they? What are what do you think that they're not doing? What do you think you could contribute to this? And think about that and try and put that out there. The reason I do a lot of the stuff I do now is because I started watching a lot of like video essays on games and thinking this is like a really cool way of getting ideas out there and start getting ideas of my own, and it went from there. Um, so that would be my first bit of advice. And I think the, you kind of need to have that because growth will be slow to begin with, especially if you're starting from scratch. Like I think I've had better growth in the past year because I already had stuff that was already helping like get the numbers up into the partner program and things like that. So, you know, if you're starting completely from scratch, it is going to be very difficult. Mm -hmm. I think I did see someone recently describe it as being like your first year at minimum would probably be like you're doing an internship at YouTube. Like, you're doing all this work and it's not going to get you any money because you're not going to be let into the partner program. You're not going to be given the recognition just yet, but like keep at it and you'll get yeah. the, the algorithm will start picking up on, on things. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, nobody's going to be PewDiePie overnight. No. And I think that's what a lot of people might fall into the yeah. trap of. I'll upload my videos and I'll do 10 and I'll be famous by the end of the 10th yeah. video. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of people, again, don't realise just all the factors as well that go into YouTube deciding what gets promoted. It is watch time and retention rate all at once. So you can't just upload a load of 30-second videos and expect like that retention rate of 100% to carry you through because YouTube sees, well, they're only 30, 30 seconds. It's not, you can't really serve many ads on that. Um, but if, you know, it's kind of about getting that balance between the right length that you'll get a good retention rate, but still a decent view rate. I mean, my retention rate for the past year on average is 40%, which is pretty much where you want to be. Um, you know, you'd think it'd be higher, but it is like 30 to 40 percent is kind of the best retention rate. It's people sticking 30, 30 to 40 percent of the audience sticking around for the whole video is very good. Um, same with things like click through rate being a lot quite a lot smaller than you'd expect it to be. It's something like 10 to 15, which a lot of my videos are not at that yet. But I think that was because the atrocious thumbnails for a while did <laughs> contribute yeah. to that. Well, from kind of outside my work and putting my analyst hat on, I know for a successful direct media campaign, it's usually 1% yes. is, is known as quite a good retention rate. Yeah. So, so that shows you very baseline what the world works to as a direct marketing campaign yeah. is 1% return. Yeah. So anything greater than 1% return, you're doing quite well, yeah. which is why YouTubers need to get to that kind of 100,000 mark before yeah. they get their silver play button. Yeah, because, I mean, like you know, the, the click-through rate is so low just because when you load up YouTube, look, think about how many videos you get put in front of you immediately. Think about how many videos are in the sidebar at any given time. Think how many videos show up in your searches. Every single in, every single video that shows up, that's an impression for that video. And you're not going to click on every single video that shows up in front of you. You're going to click on one of those 10 or something. And, you know, that's going to affect the impressions and the click-through rate. But obviously, the more that people are clicking on your video, it means that yours is standing out in this sea of videos and therefore it's worth pushing even more. But I think like YouTube does kind of take most new videos and kind of just does scattershot, throw them out there just to see who might watch them. Um, and I think another thing that needs to be said about trying to be successful on YouTube is consistency is important as well. If you're kind of constantly varying the kind of content you do and you have, it's not clear that everything's all your stuff, it's going to be difficult to re retain an audience. Um, if you're really scattershot with when you're actually getting stuff up. So if you're uploading like two videos this month and then nothing for the next month and then, you know, it's, it, there's no, people can't follow that you're going to really struggle as well i think youtube also just just doesn't like that because it wants people to click on more of your videos and if people don't know when your videos are coming out it's going to be an issue but you know and this is also a big part of why i changed all the thumbnails recently is because to make it clearer that these videos are part of a series these videos are part of a series so they all kind of it's there's a cohesion behind them and the more consistent you are on th all these different factors is is beneficial. Yeah. Humans love consistency mm -hmm. and familiarity. Yes. That's the thing that YouTube learns yes. very well. Yes. 
And if you upload a video on a set day at a set time, YouTube will love you for it yeah. because it will appear in that timeline as expected yeah. and they can just lift that content, as you said, yeah. push it out. Yeah, and of course, the more that people recognise that, like, if, if people saw, if you see a thumbnail for, like, videos that are similar to the one you just clicked on, you're going to know instantly that's part of the same series. If you enjoyed that video, you're more likely to click on it. And if that happens more, YouTube likes your channel more because it's like, ah, they're clicking on multiple videos from this channel. We're going to, people really like this channel. This is going to, net. we can serve more ads on this, you know. Any other tips? I mean, social media is probably another biggie, mm -hmm. which comes in partnership with the YouTube channel nowadays. Yeah, I think like in, this is another area where I think a lot of people don't quite know how to really do it well. I think. I mean, I'm not very good at promoting my videos anyway, but you know, um, I think like I've seen plenty of people again because of being on YouTube subreddits. I see a lot of people who will go onto just every subreddit they possibly can and just post their videos there. And it's like, okay, cool, well. And then the mods just take their videos down because they're basically just spamming the, the links around. Um, yeah. But like one of the sort of most, the best sort of initial success stories I've had in the past year was the video I did about environmental storytelling in video game houses. And one of the things I did with that is prior to making it, I went to Reddit and I asked people for examples. Of, of houses and video games that they thought told their story, sort of helped represent their stories a little bit. And I got a ton of responses. And then once the video went up, I went back to all those people who responded and said, hey, here's the video. And it saw this huge uptick in views because they'd already contributed. They didn't see it as spam. They saw it as like the kind of natural- Engagement. They saw yeah. it as the natural kind of endpoint of that conversation, essentially. So it's it's more about like engaging with people on that level and you know not just kind of going hey I made a video please watch it it's it's yeah you know I think alongside that there's a kind of genuineness that you need to present with your content yeah. because a lot of people will not shill stuff but when you get to that certain kind of notoriety or popularity you'll get your uh, you'll get your manscaped and we make jokes about it, like Rage Shadow Legends. You'll get you'll get your paid promotion inserts, and usually they kind of can dictate how content goes. Mm -hmm. If you've got like a twenty-minute promo, ten-minute promo in the middle of your half-an-hour video, mm -hmm. then people are probably going to get put off. Yeah, and it's going back to that kind of old style of advertising when it used to be like even back in the old radio days, where it would be the Ovaltine Hour presented by Ovaltine mm -hmm. by your Ovaltine. <laughs> And it, that kind of annoys me, and I have actually unsubscribed from quite a few channels because there's kind of been that tipping point where they've got to that stage of where the promo is more than the content. Yeah, I think there's definitely a balance to be struck because obviously if you're trying to do YouTube full-time, times you're going to need to get those sponsorships just to get the money in. But I think there is mm -hmm. definitely a balance of, like, I don't want to do more than this much of the video kind of thing because... You know, if you, like you said, if, if it kind of becomes more of the video than the actual content, then that is a problem. And there yeah. are certainly channels that have done that. I don't think I've really encountered it on anything that I follow. A lot of channels that I follow do have sponsorships, but they're kind of... A lot of channels that I follow actually do have, because they use chapters, they'll have a chapter that specifically, this is the sponsored bit. 
so yeah, you can, so you can, you can literally just go into the description <laughs> and click the next bit. <laughs> Which is, yeah, and I think a lot of YouTubes have noticed as well of putting it up on the screen in quite big letters. Yeah. So this is sponsored clip, or there'll be a progress bar on saying this is how long the sponsored segment is yeah. going to last for. I mean, also part of that is because they legally have to do that now as well. <laughs> yes, legally have to. Still, mm, some grey areas. Uh, I mean, it's but, one of those things where, like, the law has definitely caught up very quickly um you know it's both the like the fcc in the us and um the asa over here have both cracked down very hard on a lot of youtubers for just not following advertising rules properly yeah so so you'd say probably your key three things would be think about your content before you even create it and make sure it's good content keep the quality there be consistent with everything you can about your channel yep. and then the third bit is be engaged with yes. the content and give that content to the people yep. rather than just expecting them to find it naturally yeah i mean like again a lot of what i've done in the past year i followed a bunch of there's a bunch of trends that i've sort of followed i mean i was playing mass effect anyway but because of the legendary edition i was like i can get a video up for when that comes out the ratchet and clank video came out in time for the rift apart release Little things like that. Mm-hmm. Not every video I do, do does that, but it is helpful to occasionally do that. So you're kind of catching those points where you think this is going to be searched. Your video is likely to show up at that point. Um, but I've, I, it's about, again, a lot of it's about that balancing act of finding what's good, but also how am I, you know, following the conversation. There's definitely videos that I'm working on that aren't necessarily big trend things. They're just things I want to work on. And I still want to do mm-hmm. a lot of that amongst things yeah so probably more delicate subject but what do you think of the bad things about creating content for youtube uh, do you think there's quite a lot of negativity that can be attached to it? there can be a lot of negativity i mean we talked a little bit about content id and jesus christ <laughs> content ID. um i mean the the great thing about um like Doing gaming content is a lot of games. Publishers are very much okay with you using their games in in things. Um, They're definitely a lot more forward than movie or music companies. Um, The most interesting bit of content idea I've had was the the track Take Control from Control, which is over the end credits of my Control video. But it's like, initially I got flagged for that and then it just disappeared and I'm now making money on that video and I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I didn't, because I don't flag anything that I know is legitimate. So like the Ratchet and Clank trailer that shows up and like the movie company have flagged it. I'm just like, fine, whatever. Um, but it, it's definitely annoying when you have companies who claim this is mine. I own this. And it's like, no, you don't. And there's nothing on the form to say this is a fake claim. This is a company that's claiming that they own this content and they don't own it. Um, we've seen it. I think some YouTubers have, have actually ended up doing this. I think there was one one big British YouTuber, I think, who every game that he'd ever played was getting flagged as being owned by him. And it was due to like a change in his management or something. And they like loaded all his videos into the content ID system and it led to that happening and it just caused this big problem. It's just like that shouldn't be allowed to happen. You know, there should be a whole process of like you have to prove this is your copyrighted content before you can claim it. There's three strikes with YouTube, which sounds like a lot, but if you're uploading a video a week, for example, that's 52 videos a year. 
Well, and that that's that's a very small proportion of the stuff that could be get flagged the, for Tay. The good thing is though that's only for like manual strikes. You don't get it for the content ID stuff. That doesn't happen there. It's only if someone directly comes to your video and flags it specifically as containing content. Um, that is a lot more serious. The content ID is just like a really broken algorithm operating on its own, and you know it. As a result, they don't apply the strikes to it because I think it's pretty obvious that it doesn't work as intended a lot of the time. Um, um, and I think definitely, like there is, um, you know, because I've explained how the algorithm works, it it does make it harder to to grow initially, and it is harder to get seen. As someone who started initially doing videos in two thousand nine, like if you go back and look at my stats, you can see like view counts and things doing this, and then does this. <laughs> And it's it's because they changed that algorithm, and it because it kind of favor because it favors stuff that people are already watching a lot of. Promoted more than the stuff that people aren't watching, and sometimes that's that's good because there are plenty of people out there who are like, oh, I'm going to be successful making YouTube videos, and it's them silently playing a video game for an hour and a half, and it's like <laughs> like on a on a camcorder. Recorded it through the worst mic possible, and it's like, yeah, no one's watching this for a reason. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of like untapped talent out there that's just not going up there because it's like not following a lot of the the rules as such. Like people who upload one video a month because the videos are just heavily researched and there's a lot of stuff that goes into them, but they so they can only do one a month. But it's still consistent, but it's not consistent enough for YouTube. Um, there's definitely things like that, and like, I think things like the the stupid face thumbnails that you see around is definitely annoying. <laughs> but unfortunately, science 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 has proven that that does work. Unfortunately. So what what was behind the big channel relaunch for you? Was it kind of you got bored of your let's plays, or you just felt like that content wasn't you anymore? Yeah, it's kind of I did. Let's Plays for a while, but then I started doing a series on like the game PlayStation All-Stars Battle, Battle Royale, and that was more scripted, that was more edited, and I really enjoyed doing that. And then I tried going back into the Let's Plays, and it didn't quite feel the same, and I kind of wanted to do more stuff like what I was doing there. And it kind of got to a point where I was, just didn't know what I was doing, and I just kind of stopped doing the channel for a while. But just over time, watching video essayists and things and kind of realizing, no, this is the kind of stuff I want to make and started thinking of ideas and, you know, eventually had those ideas and was like, I'm going to relaunch the channel and I'm going to move in this direction. Um, but even then, like I've done a series of videos earlier this year about all of this anyway, but like there was a point, I think, even while making Let's Plays where it was kind of clear that I wanted to do more than just react to a video game. It was like while playing Fatal Frame 2 at one point, I was like trying to bring in like ARG elements because this was like the height of Marble Hornets being popular and stuff. And it was wanting to experiment with the, with things like that a lot more. And it's kind of, that was the point where I feel like I should have realized, no, 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 Let's Plays are kind of done for me. This is, I should try and do more creative stuff with it. Um, and the stuff I'm doing now, I keep getting ideas for it and I keep getting like, you know, new directions I could take things and oh, I could try this out and I can try this out. And it's a genuinely exciting 
to feel that way all the time about about what I'm doing. So it was definitely a, a good re, a good relaunch to have because I think this is the best that my channel has been. So. Cool, brilliant. Thanks very much, Lantley. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the bit of an expose into yes. the life of a YouTuber. Uh, don't forget, you can find Lee's own personal channel at Bob the Pet Ferret, where it is, yes. as Lee has mentioned, video game essays. Yes. Hello and welcome to my portion of the show where I talk about my Games of the Week for the past two weeks. Game of the Week last week was The Fermi Paradox, an intergalactic narrative strategy game where you're a galactic gardener overseeing a number of thriving civilizations across the galaxy and managing various planet-wide events that can have wide-reaching consequences. It looks like a neat concept and definitely worth keeping an eye on. Game of the Week this week is Wonhon, A Vengeful Spirit, a stealth action game with horror elements where the twist is, you're the horror. Playing as a murdered girl in 1920s Korea, you have made a deal with the God of Death to return and enact vengeance. In addition to her own revenge, she can also assist others in fulfilling their wishes too. The mechanics require you to be stealthy and avoid taking damage, but to aid in this you gain all kinds of supernatural powers, including possession and what appear to be animal forms. It looks like an excellent concept for a game, so I think this is one to watch. And now, back to the main show. So, on our continuing YouTube mission for this YouTuber special, uh, we thought we'd highlight some of our personal picks of types of channels and content that we prefer and like. So I'm going to be greedy and start off. Uh, one of my favourite channels from the last few years, and he hasn't actually uploaded anything for a while, is a Australian chap called Primitive Technology. And don't know if you've ever heard of this or watched it personally, but it's basically a man who goes out into the forest in Australia and does stuff like build smelters, builds mud huts, shows you like ancient primitive construction techniques, how to make bricks out of clay, how to make a furnace, how to make a forge, how to make your own tools, how to make like go from making from pretty much just stone axe all the way up to making his own tools and stuff like that. And it sounds really boring, but it's some of the best YouTube to watch for just having a bit of quiet time. He doesn't narrate it, there's no flashy intros or outros, there's no real craziness with his videos, all of the notes for the videos are in the subtitles, so you can have those on, or if you just want to watch it purely without those, kind of just like as a as just something peaceful to watch. It's great, and the reason I like it is this would never ever work on TV. Mm -hmm. Because it would never be allowed to be on something like Discovery Channel or BBC because it has no or no nobody speaking in it. It's just purely the sounds of the forest in the background and him doing his working. Yeah, if it, and I think it ex exemplifies some of the best of YouTube. If it was BBC, you'd like need that. David Attenborough narrating it, and if it was Discovery Channel, yeah. you'd need like really quick cuts and and dramatic music and everything because that's yeah <laughs> that's the American documentary yeah, style of editing. <laughs> you'd need twenty Dutch angles yeah. and cuts away to somebody else talking in a studio. Suddenly zoom in on what like you're doing. <laughs> yeah, a couple of sports commentators just talking about how he's building yeah. it and how awesome it is. Yeah. It's kind of 
that's kind of one of the pieces of great content that I want to shout out if you've not watched anything. It's been very popular on Reddit, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. There's usually a rush for when you post one of a video, one video for like Redditors to get it up on to the first one. And I will say, like, just yeah. looking at looking at his videos, I was doing that consistency. All of his videos have the same frame. You can see at a glance, <laughs> just to kind of yeah. illustrate this. <laughs> yeah, uh, they are really, really cool videos. So I really would suggest checking those out. Uh, Lee, do you have a YouTuber or YouTube style that you'd like to mention? Well, like I was talking about, I watch a lot of uh, video essays and a bunch of stuff. I think one of the first ones that I kind of got into was quite a well-known name. It's Game Maker's Toolkit. It's a guy called Mark Brown, and he just makes videos about game design. So each video will focus on a different aspect of game design. He'll find a bunch of different examples. Recently, he did a video which was about games like Civilization and Crusade Kings. And how difficult it is for those games to like communicate all their systems up front. And especially, I think like he said on Twitter that it was inspired by playing Crusader Kings and how it's tutorial just bombards you right at the beginning. <laughs> and it's just like, there's gotta be a better way to design this so that people can understand what's going on while not being just overloaded up front. Um, and he actually did reach out to a bunch of people working within the industry, working on those kinds of games, which is, is a big part of why these videos are so good because he does get actual insight from designers. Um, he also did. I'm assuming he didn't speak to Sid Meier because it would have been Sid Meier's gamers talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he did like. He also has a big thing at the moment of like really pushing for accessibility. Um, so he did a video at the end of last year, which was looking at looking back at all the games and looking at which ones did accessibility best and which, you know, what was what we were seeing more of and praising where, where it went right and you know criticizing where it went wrong and it's you know he's very keen on getting that there to open up and it's it's just such an interesting channel if you're not a designer because you can learn so much about what goes on behind the scenes and the kind of thoughts that go into um how games are made and it's just a really really interesting channel awesome keith i know you probably won't have channels as such but there's kind of like a theme of music or youtube that you like um yeah it's kind of it's kind of weird outside of kind of obviously lee's uh videos which i've now having discovered lee through geeky brummy (laughs) regular viewer um is i kind of i kind of tend to veer towards um kind of technical videos um for tools that i use an awful lot because of digital tools often they don't come with manuals now, so you've got you know things like Lumia Fusion uh, or um, Procreate or whatever it is. I find that YouTube channels are a great resource and great build a great community of people sharing tips and hints about how to get the best out of software that you may not discover by yourselves. Um, and there's quite a few of those, and there's quite a, there's official ones where people will um, kind of uh, get videos created. They, they obviously see that there's a need for these videos but also as a kind of like budget filmmaker on the side um there's youtube channels like the guys who do uh film riot which is an american-based um channel but they are a bit i've been around for a while now and other channels have come and gone over the meantime but they've they've kept doing their videos and they they, they kind of explain how to do things on a budget but at a level that looks professional and, and often it's, you know, how to build something, how to get the best out of some software, hints and tips on the best equipment to use. Uh, and even just kind of like, you know, 
hints and tips on how to get the best out of an editor it's kind of like well you know you, you want to create this look like whether it's a cinematic look it's how to color grade something in davinci or how to use uh, how to do glitch effects or matrix style effects in in after effects or whatever it is uh and it's it's always education i kind of veer towards the, the videos where i'll step away and i'll have learned something that i can put into practice i kind of tend to go to youtube with a question generally it's like how do i or i want to do this and i kind of veer towards channels that are a little bit more on that side as someone whose entire like editing knowledge came from YouTube videos, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, somebody who uses YouTube a lot in their work day for stuff like uh, Power BI and DAX, which is like a specific programming language for Power BI. I think I'd be lost without some YouTubers who yeah. explained how to do it. Because <laughs> Microsoft are very good at building software that they don't understand how it works themselves and then rely on YouTubers to explain how to actually use it. Yeah, but also the fact that it goes back a distance because I'll, I'll often find myself going, I haven't done that in 10 years and I can't remember how to do it. <laughs> a quick a quick YouTube and there's somebody with a video, um, you know, with Netscape running in the back going, this is how, you, how to do this. And it's like, oh yeah, I remember, mm -hmm. I remember my keyboard shortcuts now. Um, so I do kind yeah. of, I do, I do quite like the fact that that information is there for a while um, mm -hmm. and you can find it quite easily. Yeah, I mean, I do notice I quite like a lot of esoteric stuff alongside my YouTube list seems to be 50% tech. So it's stuff like Linus Tech Tips and Gamers Nexus and Bitwit and Pulse Hardware. And it's all about the latest computer technology, which is something I have quite a strong interest in. And you can see my tech roundup every Tuesday on the Geekery website. Look at it. <laughs> but uh, the other side is completely random stuff. And there's another YouTuber who likes to do random stuff, which I really like. It's a guy called Atomic Shrimp. He's actually a British YouTuber who's based down south. But his YouTube channel is the antithesis of what you were saying with consistent content. Mm. Like one week it'll be about making a recipe, another week it'll be about foraging, another week it'll be about a retro piece of technology that he's liked. Then it'll be two cans of food that he's been sent somewhere from around the world and he's trying it. Then it'll be making his own beer. And it's all kind of this kind of it's mostly kind of around food, but never actually like a food channel. And it's a really, really interesting thing. And he also does a lot on scam baiting as well. So one week it'll be a video about foraging and living off a pound a day. And then the next week it'll be how about he was winding up some guy from Nigeria for 35 minutes about a scam text phone call that he's had. So it's kind of like having that mix of a video because you never know what's coming out any week that he puts up. I mean, you're so, saying it doesn't follow a consistency, but there is definitely a theme to everything he's doing. So, you know, even yeah. though he's kind of doing the different things, like, yeah. he does a lot of those different things at once. So, yeah, it's it's kind of uniquely enough that you don't pay attention to the fact yeah. that it yeah. might be on a theme, but if that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, really, again, check him out. It's It's interesting stuff. And it's all stuff that you wouldn't think would be interesting. I mean, he's just done a large series on foraging, as you mentioned there, Lee. But it's all about how to identify what's a weed versus what's something that's edible. And it's really weirdly interesting stuff. And then he does something which he calls slow TV, which is where he'll just point his camera at a field and leave it running for half an hour. Okay. 
so you can just like have really nice background on without him speaking or doing any of it. So it's, it's good stuff. Anybody else you want to highlight, Lee? Um, so I've got like there's quite a few channels that I watch. I mean, um, I think one that I want to highlight again, sort of similar to kind of like Game Maker's Toolkit, there's a channel which is Daryl Talks Games and the guy who does this channel um, has studied psychology and he actually applies that to game design. So how, you know, why do we feel certain things about certain games? And he looks into a lot of that sort of stuff. And it's really, really interesting. And it's always like, I've done this scientific research to set, you know, to show, to back up my opinion on this. Um, so he's done like his most recent one was like how your personality affects your gaming rage. So it's like, why do some why do some people get really, really like just mad at games, and why are some people just really, really cool about it? And it's like looking at the different types of personality according to actual psychology, and not like you, yeah. So he's got League of Legends players <laughs> and everybody else. I mean, it, to be fair to him, he also like grouped himself amongst the rage players, and he's just like, I don't feel good about it, but I know that that's the kind of player I am. Um, but it's looking like the psychology behind that, why you react that way. Um, looking at like why there's a video just looking at his channel where looked at why was lavender town in pokemon like so scary to people it's like how do we you know what was going on there what led to that and um how your personality affects the kind of games you play and things like that so he does a lot of these just deep dives into just using actual research into psychology to sort of determine like gaming topics and it's just a really interesting watch I think I'll, cool. I definitely want to check that out because mm -hmm. generally I'm quite cool about games, but I'm yeah. rage at everything else. So <laughs> I'll be interesting to see if there's any insight into that. Keith, any other kind of channel picks that you've got? Uh, no, because like I say, mine's a bit more kind of esoteric in terms of it's it's more kind of um, uh, based on the knowledge I get from them. Um, there's a few there's a few more that I kind of watch. There's a, there's the the guy who does uh, cinema cinema wins. Um, which is quite nice because it's often about films that I like and kind of like what's great about them, um, uh, which is which is another nice thing to see. It's just it's just cool to, rather than nitpicking at things, you know. Even the worst films, um, other than Kesley Grammer's Scrooge, um, have lots of plus plus points about them. It's it's rare that I'll watch a film that's truly terrible. Uh, although I did watch Holmes and Watson by Will Farrell and uh, John C. Riley, which was an abomination. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, uh, yeah, st stuff like Cinema Wins is good because it just kind of reinforces like all those great things. You know, it, it, YouTube is like, you were talking about that, the, um, the the videos that you watch. It's often, I quite like watching videos that's like listening to your friends talk about subjects that you are into. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, you know, that, that again that that's what comes out of lee's discussions it's kind of like you know i'd quite happily sit across the table in a pub listening to lee telling me why sonic is bad <laughs> uh, you know and, it, and that's yeah. again i think that's that's kind of one of the things that youtube can do is 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 put you in touch with other people that share um you know similar similar mindsets or can put things into words that you can kind of you could yourself um yeah which is which is kind of cool that reminds me of a video which I really channel which I really like, which probably known more for their Star Wars movie reviews rather than anything else, which is Red Letter Media. But they have a playlist called Best of the Worst, 
which is basically them sitting down and watching three terrible movies and then discussing which one's the best out of the three terrible movies, which sounds like it's really easy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a great conversation to watch them watch these terrible films then talk about them for an hour and then try and work out which one has something redeeming of them. And they'll like have the occasional special, which is like the Wheel of the Worst, which will all be like infotainment tapes mm-hmm. from the 70s and 80s and 90s. And then trying to agonize over which one is the best out of watching something like a 40 minute concert that they watched of somebody playing uh, Hammond organ <laughs> versus a fire safety video where no fire appears in it. <laughs> it's kind of really fun to watch it because it's just that kind of purely random aspect again to, to it of how how do you judge these three things together because it's pretty much impossible um, and uh, they'll get random guests in so like Macaulay Culkin's turned up in a few videos <laughs> uh, Freddie Williams the third the comic artist has appeared in a few cool it's really interesting I think uh, Ivan Reitman's appeared in one or two so it's like yeah. good good fun stuff to watch I, I think the other thing I've just realised is that if it's all about consistency, then most of the channels that I would want to watch haven't got consistency because I've just got very random video choices. Like it'll be how to how to choose this particular instrument on an Omnicord, or you know how how to get the best out of your Omnicord, or how to rewire like the keyboard settings on a Omnicord or whatever it is. There's not an awful lot of Omnicord channels out there. I can tell you that for a fact because I've looked for years. There's a few, there's a few, but there's not many. Um, but I, the fact there's Omnicord content on YouTube, I think, is a win but there, for Keith, to be fair. But there's not enough. So if you're an Omnicord person, then we need more YouTube videos because I'm waiting mm-hmm. to watch them. Um, so if you're out there, yeah, there's, there's a whole host of weird things that I could probably watch YouTube videos about that doesn't exist just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't tell me there's other websites where that content's there because that's not the kind of content I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, any other YouTubers you want to highlight? Um, I might just kind of run through like a few essays that I think are definitely worth checking out. So there's an Australian woman called who goes by the name Pixel a Day. She's done a few like uh, video essays. Um, she doesn't upload very often just because her videos are so detailed. Um, but like, there was a video recently about like Descent and Ascent in Dark Souls and Hellblade, and it's talking about like how games will be using like like elevation to indicate like a character's mental state and demonstrating this using games like Dark Souls, like Hellblade and things like that. Eight um, Bit Music Theory is a really good channel. It is all about like it is all about video game music, and it's by a guy who does know his music theory, and he will use a lot of music theory half the time. I have no idea what he's talking about. It's really really interesting though. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a guy called Rasputin who one of his main things that he does, he does a, a bunch of different video essays and things, but his most popular stuff is he's gotten his wife who doesn't play video games to sit down and play different games and like kind of reports back on like what he's discovered from someone who hasn't grown up with video games and doesn't know the, the language of video games and how she's reacting to these different things. Recently did one bed specifically RPGs and kind of he reached out to the community and like got feedback of like what RPG should I put her in front of and everyone's going Undertale feels like a good beginners thing and it, <laughs> and like his report back was like she had no idea what was going on because it relies on you understanding RPGs so deeply because it subverts it all 
and not knowing anything about the medium she was just clueless about all the jokes um and there's uh, transparency which is basically two two trans women who do different video essays uh, about a number of different things they recently did one which was talking about like uh, how the working classes have been represented in games and it's talking about how mario is a class traitor because <laughs> he hangs out with a princess it's a blue collar job that hangs out with the princess they, yeah. they make really really good videos because they, they're on very serious topics but they're just full of like jokes like that and just the presentation's excellent and um would also recommend like a couple of documentary channels like no clip and people make games which are basically people going out there and interviewing people who actually do make the games and talking about like what went into making certain things um the no clip documentary on arcane is really really good because uh, it sort of looks at a lot of the stuff that they're not famous for as well as stuff like dishonored and and prey and stuff it looks at like prototypes that never get made like they made a game apparently with spielberg which never saw the light of day and that is in there in one point um so yeah there's there's all sorts that i watch but those are some highlights that i think people should check out awesome uh for me i'm just gonna quickly highlight a couple of others i mentioned a few tech channels earlier on so there was stuff like uh, linus tech tips which is probably the biggest tech channel in the world and you'd have probably heard of it if you've heard of youtube uh, and gamers nexus uh, and jay's two cents lots of other tech channels but uh two i want to really shout out is uh one called lazy game reviews which is lgr uh, who really goes for a specific era of early 90s gaming, which was kind of when I first started getting into it. So the whole thing is a nostalgia trip. So it's it's around like 486, early Pentium technology, Windows 95 gaming, that kind of era. It's really, really good stuff. Um, there's a really good tech channel called um, DIY Perks, which is basically a guy who takes tech and tinkers with it so he'll make like he think a recent video is he made his own brass version of the ps5 which is basically where he made a ps5 and he custom made it he made a, com a computer which is called by uh, breathing bellows rather than having fans in it just really interesting custom stuff like that and the last one i'm probably gonna shout out today because i'm sure we can revisit this topic many times <laughs> in the future with the amount of youtubers that we all watch is a guy called cgp gray Mm -hmm. uh, you might know him because he did a really popular video a long while ago about what's the difference between the United Kingdom, Great Britain and the Great British Isles for, it was designed mainly for Americans because they don't understand how that works so uh, it's really really good stuff but he does a lot of vlogs he's done some let's plays recently uh, one of the recent videos that he did which I really loved was a video called The Battle of the Sharks which is about the shark statue that appeared somewhere in London, which is where he lives now. And it's like, where does this shark statue come from? And then it goes into this whole deep dive about this argument between an artist collective somewhere in London and the council about this, this art structure that they put up. And it's really, really interesting. And it's one of those videos where you just, as you said, Lee, it's that one little bit of inspiration. And then when you actually get into the topic, it gets more and more mm -hmm. and more mm -hmm. interesting. So really cool stuff there. But um, yeah, I'll probably put links to these in the description below for the podcast and the YouTube. So go and check them out. Thank you for joining the Geeky Brummy Collective this week. 
I hope you enjoy the content and time for me to let the other guys let you know where they are on social media. So, Lee, where can we find you online well, in your other guises? Well, as we've discussed, uh, you can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I do a series of video game related things. I uh, should have a video on A Plague Tale very soon and a few other things on the way. Um, you can also get updates on that on Bob the Pet Ferret on Twitter. You can also support the channel Bob the Pet Ferret on Patreon. And you can find me on Twitter just tweeting normally at the Cheap Ferret. Awesome. Keith, if we looked under the Geeky Ruby Scooby Doo mask, <laughs> where else can we find you on social media? Um, if, as we've been talking about YouTube, you could find me on YouTube at Hardlock Hotel Films, where as well as crazy videos of wedding fairs you'll also find a couple of videos featuring puppets one kind of wandering around trees with lines from uh, groundhog day but also re uh, reworking a classic bruce springsteen song to um kind of support our nhs from a few years back now which is quite an interesting one i've got a terrible singing voice it's the puppet not me but that's like <laughs> um uh but it's hard luck hotel pretty much everywhere else sometimes with underscores sometimes without you you have a play find out what happens if you use underscores in certain places and feedback to me let me know what you get into. um but yeah and then on the wednesdays doing comics through geeky brummy so my own personal channel just ends up re retweeting all of the geeky brummy stuff that i put up um which is really weird it's kind of strange i'm retweeting myself retweeting myself it's a bizarre thing to do uh, but yeah awesome uh you can find me at ryan Parrish on twitter uh probably call mond when there's actually some food stuff to talk about that hasn't been for a while so it's been a bit quiet but uh probably go on twitter facebook all the other usual jazz uh you can find us all at geeky Rummy, of course here where you're listening or watching us now or on youtube facebook instagram multiple podcasting services geekyrummy.com uh why don't you check out the short film we made with the lovely jaws 19 channel a while ago where you can see me acting awfully and keith pretending to be a cop in jaw in a job which was a short horror film we made a few years back which was really good fun actually we've we've also got our version of a certain popular tom cruise franchise as well uh, which was, which yeah. was mission, shot in an afternoon mission improbable yeah, yeah. scripted shot and filmed in an afternoon pretty much. Filmed, um, pretty much edited in an <laughs> afternoon wasn't it i think <laughs> it's pretty classy it's pretty classy it's the good stuff the intro sequence is yeah. spectacular yeah we should really start doing stuff like that again post post pandemic <laughs> uh thanks for joining us don't forget to do all the usual engagementy crap which everybody else tells you to do like liking subscribing share writing review telling all your friends it really does help us out it really does help the engagement and gets us to more of an audience which means that we get a chance to do more and more cool stuff to tell you about uh, i hope you enjoyed this episode uh don't forget matt and the lovely Shanice as well. Matt, you can find at Mr. Matt Lovell on Twitter or Matchstick underscore Matt on Instagram and Shanice on Instagram at IdleCreep101. And hopefully they'll be back with us very soon. But for today, goodbye. Bye. Cheerio, folks. <laughs>